Well, hey guys, welcome to the College Age Movement Podcast. We are several weeks into our series, The Minor Prophets. Uh, we are looking at the last uh, 12 books of the Bible. We're not going to look at every single one of them, but we've been looking at the different prophets and the different lessons that they have to teach us. And sometimes they can be tough reads, but they are absolutely necessary reads for us to understand the way that God looked at the nation of Israel and in turn looks at us today. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the story of Jonah, which most most of us know the best out of the prophets because it's a narrative, it's a consumable story that's that's easier to follow. Um, it, reading a story is way uh, more applicable for us so often because we can just look at it and we can try to pull practical steps out of it. But when we look at things that are that are uh, maybe edicts or or poems or uh, visions of a prophet, it's very hard for us to figure out what was real, what wasn't, like. What what was a vision and what actually happened. And Amos is one of those books. Uh, it's nine chapters long. And and the first uh, about chapter and a half is uh, warnings for the surrounding countries of Israel. Then the next several chapters are warnings towards Israel. And then we have visions of Amos. And so this book is broken up to th- into three distinct areas. And, and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to pull um, some scriptures from, from several different um, chapters, but to try to paint a picture uh, that makes sense. Last week when we talked about Jonah, one of the things that we talked about is that there's a cost to the calling. There's a cost to the calling. And no matter what we do, whether we are obedient to Jesus or not, there's always going to be a cost involved. If we're obedient, then the cost is of often dying to self and, and being somebody who God calls us to be, not just the person that we want to be. And if we're disobedient, then the cost is missing out on the things that God would have had for us on the other side of that calling. This week, uh, we're going to talk about the prophet Amos. And this book is written in 770 BC, and the book is often identified as the book of social justice. The first chapter and a half talks about the brokenness of the surrounding nations, like I already said. And and I think that Israel's probably sitting there looking at Amos going like, yeah, absolutely. Like you tell these guys how they are blowing it. Like we want you to just bring the rain down on these guys. And then halfway through chapter one, the tone changes and it looks right at the nation of Israel. And you can tell that they're starting to get a little bit back on their heels. So like most of the minor prophets, the, the theme remains the same throughout. It's this, it's return to God, repent of your sins, and find restoration. Return to God, repent of your sins, and find restoration. And one thing that I love about the prophet Amos himself is that he was a shepherd. One of the most monotonous jobs in the world. Like all he's doing is standing in a field and making sure that sheep and goats and cows don't die. And it was actually one of the the lowest positions that somebody could have in the culture. It was usually uneducated people. It wasn't somebody of high renown or anything like that. But God breaks through the monotony to an ordinary man. And he he says, hey, I, I have some things to say to the nation of Israel, and I want you to be my mouthpiece. But what's really interesting about this time is that the king at the time had actually told all the prophets of God to be quiet and not tell him what the Lord was saying. The king had normalized worshiping pagan gods and Amos does not obey that command. While everybody else is being quiet and they're, they're afraid of this king who is a military genius, who's, who's taken over, who has brought Israel to this place of esteem. Amos says, no, the Lord wants me to say something and I don't care what you say. I don't listen to you. I listen to God. So we're going to start in Amos chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. And I'm going to use the message translation. This book uh, can be a little bit confusing in the message. I love the way that it's laid out. 
Um, so Amos chapter four, verses four through five in the message says this, come along to Bethel and sin and then to Gilgal and sin some more. Bring your sacrifices for morning worship. Every third day, bring your tithe, burn pure sacrifices, thank offerings, speak up, announce your free will offerings. That's the sort of religious show you Israelites just love God's decree. So obviously he's being facetious in this moment and he's saying, Hey, the King has offered or commissioned these shrines to these pagan gods and you are running rampant. You are just, you're worshiping other gods. You're having sex in shrines with temple prostitutes. You're doing all kinds of different things, but then you're bringing your thank offerings to the Lord and just pretending like everything's good. So the first point this week is real over religion, real over religion. We talk about this quite a bit around college age, but but even 3,000 years ago, it was really easy for the people of God to be inauthentic in their pursuit of God. God knew their hearts. And even though they were providing offerings and they were pro- providing tithes, there was nothing real about their desire to actually be the people, actually be the nation that God had called them to be. And I think most of us have probably been there right? There are seasons where we're like sinning up and down. We know we're in situations that we shouldn't be in. We know we're taking actions that we shouldn't. We're, we're thinking thoughts that we shouldn't, whatever it may be. But then we go to church on the weekend and we check the religious box, right? We, we pray a little bit maybe and we show up to church on the weekend and we say, hey, all that stuff that I did, not a big deal. And while there's absolutely grace and forgiveness and all those different things, we don't live in a way that just pursues, hey, you know what? God's going to forgive me anyway. That's not the mentality we're pursuing. What we want to do is, oh man, I'm actually repentant of the things that I did and I'm going to do an about face. I'm going to walk the other way and I'm not going to do those things again because that's not what God called me to be. God wants authenticity. God wants real relationship. He doesn't want us to live any way that we want to live and then throw some some money in the tithe plate or, or whatever it may be to check our religious box and be like, all right, I'm good. Now let's go do some more stuff. He wants us to be authentic in our relationship. So when it talks about this Bethel and Gilgal, it's talking about these false shrines. And the the king had commissioned these false shrines where the Israelites would go and do all of these different things. And Amos steps right in. He leaves his, his area of his country, of the nation of Israel, the northern nation of Israel. And he finds his way even further north, straight into the middle of these places that all of these things are happening. And he has even more to say. And, and through him, God speaks. And I'm going to read the rest of chapter 4. It says this. It says, You know, don't you, that I'm the one who emptied your pantries and cleaned out your cupboards, who let you hungry and standing in the bread lines, but you never got hungry for me. You continued to ignore me. Yes, and I'm the one you stopped the... Uh, Yes, and I'm the one who stopped the rains three months short of harvest. I'd make it rain on one village, but not another. And I'd make it rain on one field, but not another. That way that they would dry up. People would stagger from village to village, crazed for water, never quenching their thirst. But you never got thirsty for me. You ignored me. I hit your crops with disease and withered your orchard and gardens with locusts. They devoured your olive and fig trees, but you continue to ignore me. I revisited you with old Egyptian plagues, killed your choice young men and prize horses. The stink of rot in your camps was so strong that you held your nose, but you didn't notice me. You continued to ignore me. I hit you with earthquake and fire. I left you devastated like Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me. 
all kinds of pain, all kinds of suffering, all kinds of calamity had come upon the nation of Israel, and yet they turned to their own desires instead of turning back to God. And I think that that's a pretty good picture of where we are. I think in in this entire story, I think that I can identify with the nation of Israel as an individual. I think as a community and as, as the church, we could probably identify with Israel. And even as a nation, like the United States is Israel. We are people who know what God would want of us, but we turn away so often. So a question that I think that we have to constantly ask ourselves as individuals, as as a community, as a nation, what's it going to take for us to turn to God? Like how close to the edge are we going to have to get before we invite Jesus right into the middle of our situations? This question is uncomfortable and it's hard, but I think that we have to be honest and think about what it would take in situations for us to turn to God and his will instead of trying to figure out figure it out on our own. Whether it's a specific situation or a relationship or a sin that we've been struggling with a long time, what's it going to take to quote unquote give it to God? Like that can be a super cheesy saying and we're like, oh man, I've heard that so many times growing up, but it's real. What is it going to take for us to give it to God? Amos chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 go on to say, People hate this kind of talk. Raw truth is never popular. But here it is, bluntly spoken. Because you run roughshod over the poor and take bread right out of their mouths, you're never going to move into the luxury homes you have built. You're never going to drink wine from the expensive vineyards you've planted. I know precisely the extent of your violations, the enormity of your sins. They're appalling. You bully right-living people, taking bribes right and left, kicking the poor when they're down. Those in positions of power were obviously taking advantage of the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised. And then it goes on to say in verses 13 through 14, justice is a lost cause. Evil is epidemic. Decent people throw up their hands, protest and rebuke are useless, a waste of breath. Seek good and not evil and live. You talk about God, the God of angel armies being your best friend. Well, live like it and maybe it will happen. Now, I think it's really easy for us to look at the scripture and think about financial wealth and financial power and feel like it doesn't apply to us. Maybe you are somebody with a ton of financial wealth. I am not. So I'm easily kind of conned or whatever by my mind to to step into like, oh, well, this doesn't really apply to me because I'm not a person in power. I'm just a normal guy who works at a church. However, I think it should stir up a different question within us. And the question is this, what am I doing to engage with the least of these? What am I doing to engage with the least of these? The poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, we have to constantly be aware of how we as individuals are serving these people and how we are serving as a community as well. I don't ask this question to make you feel guilty. I I think it's a question just to be a little bit convicted as as individuals and a community. But if we're going to tell people that Jesus loves them, we better be people who show them that he loves them as well. We get the honor of being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not a burden. We get the honor of being the hands and the feet of Jesus. So as we're thinking about this, how am I engaging with the least of these, the the disenfranchised? What am I doing on a a weekly basis or a monthly basis to step into my community and engage the people and advocate for the people who cannot advocate for themselves? See, there's two words that come up over and over and over again, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And those words are justice and righteousness. But I don't know if we actually know what they mean. Righteousness is simply right relationship with God and with people. 
So that means that we become people who are called to constantly check in on our relationships, that we would first check in on our relationship with God, a vertical relationship that we have with God saying, hey, I'm spending time in the word. I'm spending time praying. I'm seeking the Lord's will for my life. I'm going to be somebody who is constantly checking in on my relationship with Jesus, but also that I would become somebody who's checking out on my relationship horizontally, that the people around me, the community that I live in, how am I engaging with them? And am I making sure that I'm in right relationship with God and with people? And then there's this word justice, and we hear it so often. I think that most of us think of the word justice as something that is reactionary, something that is done in response to something that's done to us or done to something else. Like somebody commits a crime and we say, oh, well, justice is going to be served. Like they're going to receive their justice. That's what we look at the word justice as. However, more times than not, Scripture would would use the Hebrew word mishpat. This was restorative justice, seeking out vulnerable people and helping them, taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable during specific times and against specific systems. The restorative justice in in culture, systematic places, uh, systematic things that have been put in place. We're we're in in a season of our country right now where we're, seeing a lot of the underbelly of what um, our country and, and laws and all the different things that have happened, our history, and we're starting to see these systems that have been put into place that, that people of color have been uh, put in a, in a disadvantage to those of us who are Caucasian. And so we're starting to see those things, and my hope is that we as the church and we as individuals are saying, hey, like whatever I can do to help people and advocate for people, I'm going to do those things that that I see every single person, no matter what, as valuable because Jesus sees them as valuable. And that goes for the orphan, the widow, people in different cultures and different climates and people in different communities that, that don't have the same opportunities that other people have. And this has been talked about for thousands and thousands of years. In Proverbs, it says this, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 through 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just. Do what is right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in its place. This is what Israel was supposed to be all about, righteousness and justice, right relationship with people, right relationship with God, justice, restorative justice, being people who, who go to the oppressed and say, no, you are, you are equal with me. I'm going to bring you up. I'm not going to push you down. I'm going to lift you up. And if God was calling Israel to that, he is absolutely calling the, us to that as well. We are all children of God. We are supposed to be all about righteousness and justice as followers of Jesus. Here's the really ugly truth is that that we all participate in injustice. Sometimes it's actively and sometimes it's blatant and we're okay with it. And sometimes it's passively and we don't even really know that it's going on. We're just a part of systems or a part of cultures or a part of friend groups that oppress one group or one person or whatever it may be. But here's the thing. While we can participate in injustice passively, we cannot participate in justice passively. Justice is active. Justice is intentional. We have to be active. So we have to ask ourselves that question. What am I doing to engage? What am I doing to engage with the people that aren't like me? What am I doing to engage with people who don't have the things that I have? What am I doing to, to, to help the single mom, to, to foster? What am I doing to engage with the people that would be considered the least of these in my culture? 
chapter 5, verse 15 goes on to say this, hate evil and love good. Then work it out in the public square. Maybe God, the God of those angel armies will notice your remnant and be gracious. I want to be a part of the remnant. I want to be a part of the people who are left over, the people who are ready to do the will of God, who aren't putting ourselves above other people, people who are being, and this is our next point, outspoken. Outspoken in words and in action. And I understand, like, being outspoken about something can be uncomfortable. But if Jesus has called you to it, speak out all the louder. The call is not to be a Pharisee. The call isn't to try to get everyone to see how socially conscious you are. The call is to actually create actionable steps to help the vulnerable find solid ground to stand on. Like We're, we're not just trying to make people think that we are, are advocates of the vulnerable. We want to be people who actually are advocates of the vulnerable. So, so where can you help others find justice? Where can you be a part of mishpat, restorative justice? Is it the foster care system? Is it with the homeless in your town? Is it engaging with racial injustices that are a part of our communities and our country? Is it going overseas and investing in a third world country? Whatever it may be, it, it just looks different, but God has called us to be passionate. God has not called some of us to be people who care about justice. God has called us all to be people who care about justice. So Amos spends entire chapters speaking to the nation of Israel about their injustices, about taking advantage of the poor, taking advantage of the needy, taking the advantage of the foreigner and, and the vulnerable, and they're doing just about everything that other races and nations that God had rescued them from in Egypt. They were oppressed. Egypt was oppressing them because of their race, because of their nation, because of the way that they looked, all of those different things. They were oppressed. And then they find power and they become the oppressor. And God is so frustrated. He didn't rescue the nation of Israel from oppression to become oppressors. So then in, in chapter 6, God promises that a pagan nation will take them over and punish them for the mistreatment of others. He says, your, your nation's going to get destroyed. And 40 short years later, the nation of Israel, a pagan nation, comes in and does absolutely that, destroys the nation of Israel. But Amos, being a prophet, speaking on behalf of God, looks beyond the destruction, and there's hope to be found. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, the back half of the entire book, the last couple paragraphs, it says this, But also on that judgment day, I will restore David's house that has fallen to pieces. I'll repair the holes in the roof, replace the broken windows, fix it up like new. David's people will be strong again and seize what's left of the enemy Edom. Plus, everyone else under my sovereign judgment, God's decree, he will do this. Yes, indeed, it won't be long now, God's decree. Things are going to happen so fast, your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of another. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings, blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and hills. I'll make everything right again for my people, Israel. They'll rebuild their ruined cities. They'll plant vineyards and drink good wine. They'll work their gardens and eat fresh vegetables. And I will plant them, plant them on their own land. They'll never again be uprooted from the land that I've given them. God, your God says so. And this is the last point this week. We serve a God of justice and mercy, justice and mercy. Return to God. Return to the person that God called you to be repent and seek justice and be restored. It's a beautiful picture. Hey, 
You need to come back to me. You need to repent for the things that you've been doing and I will restore you back to the original plan. If God is loving, he must address injustices. He had to be the father of the nation of Israel. He had to be the father who said, this is not okay. You are being people who are oppressing others. You are looking at others as invaluable. That is not okay and you are going to be punished. I'm a father. I do not punish my kids because I'm just simply angry at them. I punish my kids because I want them to learn a lesson. And God is doing just that. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to be destroyed so that you can be built back up and you can become the people that I actually called you to be, not these oppressors of the vulnerable. And then he shows mercy. He brings restoration. He brings grace because he loves his children. And I think for us, it's so important that we as individuals understand that we are imperfect, that we as a community are imperfect, but we have every opportunity to return to God. We can repent of the things that we've taken part in, and we can absolutely unequivocally have so much confidence in the fact that God will restore us. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast. If you are in Billings, we are meeting in person 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights at Faith Chapel. We would love to see you here. If you're not in Billings or you can't make it or you're not comfortable coming to an in-person gathering yet, keep listening to the podcast. We'll be back next week.